Is that good? I thought it was supposed to be green. I thought green's always right. Red means stop. I can't start until it's green. Well, it may be. But if it's dying, it's in the right place. We need a resurrection. Amen? I think you hear me because of this. No? Okay, well, you're, you're the guy that knows. I'm just going to shut up and preach. How about that? Sorry. What would our life be without technology, right? Hmm. It's a question we might need to ponder a little closely, a little more closely. Well, uh, today we're back uh, in our study of God's design for a healthy church. And uh, today's message just, man, God's timing is great. Uh, And today's message is about gospel-focused, focusing on the gospel. And uh, Awana does a great job uh, in doing that. And so we're just going to build on that. Uh, I do love our student ministry, Awana, and I thank God for everybody that makes that happen. And really, it is a church-wide uh, collaboration. Uh, you support it. You pray for it. Uh, we rejoice to see uh, young uh, kids come to know Christ uh, as their Savior. And, of course, uh, we desire to disciple them through Sunday school and things of that nature. And all that is possible because uh, your faithfulness, you give, uh, you love the Lord, and you show that in a number of ways. So I just want to tell you I, I appreciate you and I love you. Thank you for last week. Uh, I got the Sunday off, was just blessed by the preaching that uh, the men brought uh, uh, to me. Uh, just good to, to be preached to and to hear the word and just see what God is doing in their life and how God has impacted their life. Um, on behalf of our family, we thank you for uh, your generosity and the love offering. It was somewhere north of $1,300, so we praise God for that. Um, got plenty of stuff that that can go to uh, some fine use for. So uh, I appreciate your love for us uh, over the past really 15 years now. So uh, I thank you so much from the depths uh, of our heart. So here in Philippians... Um, We're going to be in chapter 1, and we're going to start down in verse 12. And today's message again is about being gospel-focused, being gospel-focused. So Philippians chapter 1, we'll begin in verse 12. Would you please stand this morning as we honor the reading of God's inerrant and infallible word? Verse 12 of Philippians 1. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all of the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Father, we love you. And thank you for the power of the Word. And God, make the message alive and real to us today. Uh, Lord, as, as, as a people of God today, 
called out for the furtherance of the gospel, Lord, help that to be our focus in what we continue to do uh, as, as ministry flowing out from this church. We love you. May you be glorified and use me this morning faithfully to preach as a dying man to dying people. For your name's sake we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, according to Scripture, healthy churches are those who keep their eyes and their focus on the cross, on the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this morning in our Sunday school time, I, I was uh, asking the, the kids, what is the, what is the purpose of Awana? What is the goal of Awana? Uh, to teach boys and girls the gospel of Jesus Christ and to train them to love and serve Him. I mean, that's, that's the point. And uh, we began to drill down on what then is it to be gospel focused. Well, uh, Paul shares some insight into that. And number one, he tells us the importance of making the gospel the center of our life. The gospel becomes center of our lives. It is to become center of our life. Uh, if, we, if we just look around us today, we understand if we really take an objective look at the world we live in and even, and even the galaxy uh, that this marble uh, hangs around in, we understand some things. We understand that there is a common design to a lot of the things in life because we have a common designer. That's why. I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? And uh, the Lord in His wisdom, as He, as he made things and, he, and he, as He unfolded the heavens and, he, and he, through special creation and He spoke this world into existence, and we just see God's handiwork in so many ways. And, and understand, we're looking at a broken, fallen world and we can still see the handiwork of God. I mean, can you imagine in that state prior to Genesis 3 what it must have been like? Well, one day God says, we're going to experience a new heaven and a new earth, and we're going to know the answer to that question. And, and, and to God be the glory for that. Amen. But have you thought this morning, uh, I mean, you know, we, we, we got to talking there in Sunday school about the uniqueness of, of the atom and how there's a center of that atom. Uh, we call it the nucleus, and it contains some, uh, some neutrons and some protons, and then, and then there are these things that orbit out around uh, that nucleus. Uh, we call them electrons. And, uh, and, and we understand properties of specific elements based on how many of those electrons are, are, are orbiting around that nucleus. But the reality is if you look at the atom and you see the way there is order to that atom and how things are orbiting around the center of that atom and then you go, you look at our solar system. There's this big glowing fireball in the center of it, right? And it's called the sun, <laughs> Uh, I'd like to see it today, but I don't know if that's going to happen. But anyway, uh, been a little damp around the house lately. But we've got the, the sun in the middle of, that, of this uh, solar system. And, and what happens? There's these other planets that rotate around that sun. And we understand that, that in, in nowhere else in our solar system is life livable, attainable, except on the, the third planet from the sun. It's, as I've said before, it's in the ideal galactic zone. Minor little tweaks here or there would make life as we know it impossible. That's not by chance. That's not by chance. And uh, we, we have folks today that want to go to Mars, and that's fine. I don't. Uh, so I won't be taking your seat. Uh, so you're welcome to go to that red, frozen place up there. It's very cold and you can't breathe. So go ahead. 
Do whatever you want to do. Uh, I'm sure as soon as you get there, there'll be a Dollar General down on the corner. So uh, have at it, right? Have at it. Uh, and, and who knows? I've heard that there are some folks that want to travel to the sun. Uh, I say that's impossible, but they say they're going to go at night. So anyway, we'll see how that works out. But there is order. There is order to things. And whether it's the way an atom looks, you can see the same design in the cosmos. And even on our musical scale, when we see the arrangement of, of those notes, uh, I think eight in total, maybe seven or eight, uh, that, that it's the same idea. It's the same design. I heard a scientist say that, that, that the difference between the tones of the notes as you go up the scale are similar in nature to the distance between the planets as they are arranged in the solar system. I don't know if that's true or not because I don't have the brain to figure that out, but that's what he said, okay? But I know this. I know that when we look around our culture today and we look around and we look under a microscope, we see common design because we have a common designer. And, and that's the reality of that. And so uh, in light of that thing and in, in light of the reality of that and the, uh, the reality of order in God's universe, there is also order in our lives. And when we put things in the proper order, then we can expect the results that God's Word tells us we'll get. And Paul makes a point here uh, for us to understand that we need to make the gospel the center of our life. See, here's the reality of what's the center of your life and what's the center of my life. We do what we love. You know that? You do what you love. Uh, you do what you like. You do what you love. Do you realize you can go to school to learn something and not necessarily do that, uh, you end up doing what you like to do, you end up doing what you love to do, uh, because that's the way God made us. We are worshipers. Every man, every woman, every child is worshiping. We were created that way. The, the real issue then is what are you going to worship? Everybody's worshiping something. And here's the thing. When I'm talking about making the gospel the center of your life, Paul is understanding that if we want to claim Romans 8.28, as we should, as we should because Paul wrote in Romans 8.28, and we know, and we know a fact. Paul's saying this is a fact. This is not something you, I mean, whatever the world assails against you and however the circumstances of life are going, Paul says, and we know, and we know. It's a fact, and I can claim that. I can say to myself, I know this is to be true. And as much as we love Romans 8, 28, it's conditional. It's conditional to the people of God who are living and serving out the purpose of God in their life. Now, you're going to find if you're outside of the will of God out here, you're going to go to the school of hard knocks. That's just the reality of it. You are. And, and God allows those hard knocks and those circumstances to come into our life. You know why? Because it helps refocus what is the center of our life. We're to make the gospel the center of our life. Now notice what he says. He says, I want you to know. I want you to know. Paul's saying, I'm giving you truth. I'm giving you a fact here. I want you to know. 
that the things, that the circumstances surrounding my life, the things that have happened to me, he says, they've actually, to your surprise, he says, because in our culture we're taught that when bad things happen to you, you're to, you're to fly the flag of victim. I can't be successful because I'm a victim. I can't be successful because this happened to me. I can't be successful because that's happened to me. We're, we're filled with the idea today that you want to be a victim, you want to have that status because that's your crutch, that keeps you from doing whatever in life. That's your excuse. And we all, therefore, because of that, you're entitled to an easier way. You're entitled to a, the benefit of the doubt. That's what our culture says. But Paul's saying the things, to your surprise, they've actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, but as I look at that word furtherance that is used here in the Greek, the same root word is used to describe those in the Roman army that would cut that they would they would fell the trees. They would cut down all the trees so they could move their, their catapults and their uh, trebuchets and those things uh, into battle. And there was a group that would go before them that would make it possible for them to drag those machines of war with them. You just couldn't go dragging them through the forest. They had to be cleared. And Paul uses the same word to give the idea that they're, they're clearing the way there. And he's saying that these circumstances that are happening to me, they are clearing the way. See, here's what we need. We need to stop crying all the time about the circumstances, folks. I can't control circumstances, and you can't either. Those things are out of our possibility. And Paul's saying that instead of weeping over the circumstances, understand that God's using them to clear the way for the gospel to have its way. In your life and in my life. And he's saying in my life, these things that have happened, what's happened? He's been arrested. He's in prison. He says, my chains. My chains. The fact that I can't go as I wish. They've actually furthered the gospel. And he says it's become obvious. That's what he says in verse 13. He uses the word evident, right? It's evident. It's obvious to everyone that these things are happening out of this trial, out of these circumstances, out of the, the difficulty here. See, Paul viewed the difficult circumstances of his life as an opportunity to live out and to communicate the gospel. He was in prison. The trial for his faith. And he's saying, your life purpose is the gospel. And God allows circumstances into our life to teach us the gospel, to reveal how the gospel uh, changes us or has changed us, and to give us opportunities to demonstrate the power of the gospel. That's why they come. That's why they go. And God doesn't waste a thing. And the difficulty in life that we experience can be used as it was in his life to further the gospel. The gospel has to be the center of our life. It has to be the nucleus of our life. And when, and when I'm talking about the gospel, I'm talking about what it means to know, to love Jesus, to realize that he came from glory and that he died in my place, that he took my sins to the cross and that they've been laid on his account and paid for in full. 
And so now I'm living in the light of this glorious news, this resurrected life of Jesus Christ, given to me the, the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. And Paul's saying, I want everybody to hear that message. And we should too. And when the gospel is the center of our life, the other things in our life are going to find their importance and the, where they need to be in the proper order, and they're going to rotate around those things. We call it giving God preeminence, uh, giving Him the throne of our life, giving Him the center of our life. And I want to tell you, when God's people are focused on the gospel, I'm going to tell you, that gets the devil rattled. That rattles the devil. See, we, we're, we, we, we're up against an enemy that understands culture, understands history. We're up against an enemy that understands the fallen, broken human nature. Oftentimes way, way better than we do. And God uses our systems, our government structures, our bureaucracy. He uses those things against us. He gladly does it. And here's the thing. When people... When people, that's why at, in America at one point there was this pervading uh, worldview, this, this Christian worldview influenced every area of our culture. And because of that, whether people were deists or whether uh, they were Christians or whether they were some other uh, uh, form of Christianity in a sense over here or they had some truth of Christianity that they believed, the devil despised it. Because all of that brought people to the understanding when they looked up and they looked around that there was someone greater than they were. And the devil fears when God's people or when anyone for that matter realizes that truth. See, that's why Paul said in Romans 1, there's enough, there's enough evidence in nature to, to convict us of our human need and reality that we are not here alone and we are not at the top of the food chain. God is king. There is someone who, who makes the universe work. I can't explain it. I don't have to. To appreciate the work of God. And when, when people, that's what Paul's saying, when, when the gospel is the center of my life, what do I do? I share the gospel. I share it. And we've reduced sharing the gospel today. In, in, in the books that that permeate our uh, Southern Baptist denomination. So many of them are, are, are about, they, they could be uh, you know, titled, Accosting the Stranger in the Name of Jesus. Because it is the idea that you're not sharing the gospel if you're not out here on a street corner talking to a total stranger. Well, I beg to differ. I beg to differ and here's how and here's why. God has given every person in here a center and a focus and a level of influence, a circle of influence. Everybody. You go to school, you go to classes, you have friends, you, you go to work, you have people you work with, you do things that bring you in contact with other people, and we build relationships. Those are influences. You have influence with those people. Start there. Start there. Is, is there a need to witness to strangers? Of course. Of course. But do you know how many people are doing that? Not that many. But do you know how many, how many people could affect? 
effectively share the gospel with their friends and their relatives and their acquaintances at work and the neighbors they live next door. Every single one of us. And we can do that in ways that aren't necessarily preaching as we like to say in our culture today. Just, just called hospitality. Kindness. Being gentle. Loving your neighbor in a real way. I mean, folks, listen. When you find things in common with people, it gives you a, a platform to speak the truth of God in their life and they will receive it. They will receive it. They may not respond in faith to it, but they will receive it. And you might disagree. You can agree to disagree and you can still love that person. Do you realize that? I, I say this is God's design for a healthy church to be gospel focused because when the church of the living God is gospel focused, there's not schisms and rips and divisions and clicks and clanks. They're not that. It's not that. Because we're focused. A church that wants to see people saved do not care whether the carpet's going to be crimson, burgundy, or garnet. You know why? Because they're all the same color. In some shade. No, what we're concerned about is people coming to saving faith. That doesn't mean you have to vote on the color of carpet. And it doesn't mean that there's not going to be disagreements. But it doesn't mean that the church has to be fractured over those things when we're focused on the gospel. And you will find, and I will find in my life, that when the gospel is the center of my life, I'm not going to be fractured by all of these other things in life that don't go my way. And there's going to be many of things that don't go your way. The gospel is the center of our life. We share the gospel with people that we know. Notice what Paul said about doing that too. He says, this become evident to everybody to the rest of those that see my chains. And he says in verse 14, And most of the brethren in the Lord, they've become what? Confident by my chains. And now they're much more bold to speak the word without fear. Hey, when we're faithful in sharing the gospel, we're faithful in ministering to people, to gathering with people, and to loving uh, one another in, in Christ. You know what that does? That breeds that over and over and over and over again. Like attracts like, man. We're going to gravitate toward those things. And that's what Paul's saying. When they see that the Apostle Paul is preaching to the palace guard, hey, I'm going to preach. I'm going to teach. I'm going to share. It gives them boldness. And Paul even took it a step further here. He said, you know, there are those that share the gospel because they want to gain something from it. He said, he's saying, you know, he, he's saying there are those who, 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 are, who the name claim and all that kind of stuff and, and, and just believe it and speak it and it'll happen. And, and, and that, that's not always true. Uh, certainly not. And, but he's saying that there are those who, who preach the gospel and they're getting some personal gain from it. Maybe it's popularity. We can see those things in our culture today. But you know what he said? 
He said, I'm not going to be focused on how many folks are over here with this guy. And I'm not going to be focused with how many folks are over here in this, in this church over here uh, with this guy. Paul said, I don't care. I just want the gospel to be preached. And if the gospel is preached, God's going to get the glory and let God deal with all those other things. Paul says, I don't care. I just want people to hear the gospel. Male association, I mean, there's like 28, 29 Baptist churches in that association alone. I mean, I could, you go down past Zaxby's on Tiff Avenue, go across the hill there, and there's like six churches within a block of each other. Jesus Junction down there, man, let me tell you. And, and too many times we see it as competition. But the reality is, folks, listen, people need Jesus. We need to recognize and have enough self-awareness, and certainly as pastors, we need to have enough self-awareness to realize that there are some people that are going to like you and like your personality and even your beard, and there are some that are not. And so what? So what? Tell people all the time, and, 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 and it's been well said of liberty, you're going to love it or you're not. And if you don't like Liberty Church and you don't like the, the, the style of music or the style of preaching or, or that, I, that I don't have a tie on or whatever it may be, there are other churches that you can go to that, that you can check the box on that. I'm not saying that in a bad way. Just get under the gospel. Just get in a church. Just get in a small group. Get in a Sunday school class. Get the Word of God in your hand and open it up. That's what we need. Look at America today. We need the Lord. I mean, we need the message. And whether it's coming through the internet, whether it's coming through the radio, whether it's on a billboard, whether it's in the local church, we just need people to hear the gospel and respond in faith. And that's my purpose. And that's your purpose, to make the gospel the center of our life and to share the gospel with people you know. And if we're going to share the gospel with people that we know, we need to be able to communicate the gospel as clearly as possible. To communicate it as clearly as possible. To give them the truth. Um, if this week at your place of work, someone that works close to you, you know on a first-name basis, you know who the kids are, know what kind of car they drive, know where they live, you've been out to lunch together, folks you know, if, if they were to come to you and ask you, hey, I'm struggling with, my, with this idea of faith, could you tell me how I can know that God is real and, and that Jesus is really my Lord and Savior. If, if they came to you inquiring of that, could you communicate the gospel to them in a way that they could respond, that they could understand? I, I can remember in, in, in you know, churches that I've been to in the past, and, and especially when I was a youth pastor, Years, many years ago, many years ago. I hate to even think about how long ago that was. Man, I'm getting old. 
But I can remember a lot of times, you know, I get a lot of people that would come to me and say, hey, I want you to talk to my kid, um, and I just, I just want to make sure they understand, or, you know, or that, or that I, I want you to share the gospel with them. And, I, of course, I would. I'd gladly do it. But you know the conversations over the course of time that I hear here? It's not, preacher, would you come share the gospel with my kid? Although I would gladly do it. And this is not, a, 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 this is not, a, this is not me complaining when I say this. But this is, this is what I'm hearing. This is what I'm hearing now. Our, our child or, hey, our children... They made a profession of faith or, you know, they, they came to know the Lord, prayed to receive Christ a few weeks ago. And we've been talking about this for, for weeks, for months. And, and they, they feel like they're finally ready to go forward and make this public to the church. Pastor, would you, would you just come and, and pick up where we are at and share with them the importance of what they're about to do? That's a whole different conversation. That's a whole different conversation. Because what they're saying to me when they ask me that question is this, Preacher, Preacher, Preacher Steve, we know the gospel. It's been taught, it's been communicated, and our children have received it. And now we want you, as the role of their pastor, to explain to them the significance of what they're about to do, the next step. That is a completely different conversation, and that's what, it, that's what needs to happen. Every single one of us needs to understand how to communicate the gospel effectively. Where do I start? How do, how do I show them, according to the Bible, that they're sinners? How do I show them, according to the Bible, that God died for that sin, paid for it in full, and that where can I show them in the Word of God that if they would believe and if they confess and with the mouth that is made into salvation, when they call upon the name of the Lord that they will be saved? Where are those verses at in Romans? Where do I go? What about John 3.16? What does that mean and how do I explain it? We need to know how to communicate the gospel clearly. And if you're, if you're struggling with that, hey, on your way out today, go through the, the, the opening there as you enter into the foyer, hang a left. And there, there's, there's gospel tracks there about Eternal life. How can I know that I have eternal life? And read that gospel track. So that you can, or take some with you, so that you can communicate it clearly. Communicate it clearly. I mean, folks, listen, at the end of the day, when we're talking about believing that Jesus died for your sin and that that's sufficient, that that is truly sufficient, it's much greater than this, but it's like this. Folks, listen. You go buy a plane ticket. Go buy a plane ticket anywhere you want to go. And, and, and you know, you can buy a one-way ticket, but I like, to round, I like them to know I'm expecting to come back. I like the round trip. I want them to know I want to get there and come back. Okay? Just put that in your brain. I'm expecting to get there, but I want to ride back. So just remember that. Like the bus, heaven bound, but not this trip. You know what I'm saying? Just remember that. But you know, you go get on a plane. First of all, do you know how old these airplanes are that are flying? Hey, man, you, you might get on a 737. 
the Steve Miller band was singing about a 737 in the 70s. Credence was singing about a 737 in the 70s, maybe the 60s. And planes are old. That thing is made up of thousands of parts and not a single one of those parts fly by themselves. Not a single part. And you buy a ticket and you get on a plane and you believe it's got gas in it, fuel. And if you're traveling in the winter, they tell you it's been de-iced. Not even sure how you necessarily do that, but... And then you, there is a guy you don't know flying the plane. And, and there is a question in your mind and in my mind, faith. I have a ticket. We got people that have assembled a plane of thousands of parts and it's old, older than me. And... Uh, I, it's going to have gas in it. All the hydraulics are going to work. Have you ever? Did you see that picture of Miles in the cockpit of that airplane? Did you see the cockpit? Folks, I, I got in a new car the other day, or a newer car than what I had. I couldn't hardly drive the thing. It was touch screen everything. And I'm looking at that cockpit. And I'm thinking to myself, how in the world do you know what button of the 1,537 that are on that dash that you need to flip? And yet, we get on them every day, and we have faith that it's going to take off and that it's going to land. And then, with a boldness like Pauline faith, we stand watching that thing come around in circles, believing by faith that there's a red suitcase that's going to come trickling down that's going to be actually mine. Faith. Faith. We, we do it all the time. to communicate faith to them of believing of really believing being all in that God did really truly die for every sin that I will ever commit he paid for it all in full and he makes me right before God and he gives me the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life for his glory Paul says what's happened to me is for the glory of God. And the things that are going on in your life today, see them, that God is using them for the glory of God. To, to clear the path for you to share the gospel. To be focused on the gospel. Whether it's Lottie Moon, Annie Armstrong, William Carey, David Livingston, 
you pick the missionary. You pick the time of history. Somebody got gospel focused and said, what's more than sitting in this building here is going out here and meeting people where they are and sharing the gospel. And whether it was the east end of London or whether it was a place called Plymouth Rock or whether it was the, 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 the unconquered west where people went, they brought the gospel. They shared the gospel. And it transformed the, the culture. And it transformed the world. And I believe with my heart, all of my heart today, that if we would return to that time in which we really were focused on sharing and communicating that gospel, that it was at the center of my life, that I believe, without a doubt, it would have that massive and that kind of impact on our culture today. I do. The answer, though, is when Paul said there, that, verse 17, the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. The pain, the disappointment, God, be preached, be proclaimed, have your will, and use my life for your glory. May that be our heart's prayer today. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we love you. And we thank you for the gospel. And Lord, we thank you for the simplicity of the message. That God's children can understand. And yet you tell us in your word as adults, we love to complicate things. But Lord, we must be like this little child. We must convert. We must be simple in our faith to just say, God... You're in control. I'm not. I need you. Lord, forgive me of my sin. And Father, you tell us in your word that if we'll call on that name, if we'll confess that you will save. Have your way in every heart today. We give you the glory for the harvest, Lord, that only you can bring. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's stand to our feet. We stand and sing this morning. I want to encourage you to come.
they could call a favorite and uncle. Fifteenth of February, we want you to thank very much over the last few weeks for the Again, we thank you for another Lord's Day. We thank you for the words this morning, dear God, how it's just full of love, people, and just the God's word, the gospel preached. We thank you for people that make up our church. Thank you again for our Juana, dear God, our teachers, leaders, our students, continuous blessing. Give us a good day of rest. Bring us back tonight, dear God, if there's ones on our hearts that need some prayer, dear God. We lift up Beth, her father, and her husband right now, dear God. And we pray for our country and the leaders of it that they know that you're there. Pray for our country every day now, dear God. God, that we got that set with what we're doing here and going. And we just know that you know best. Leave now. Give us safe travels.